0: Hello, dear listeners. Editing Leo here. Due to technical difficulties, or shall I say catastrophes, our original seventh episode, An Interview with Carrie, was sadly lost. So what you're going to hear now is what we originally recorded as episode eight. We'll redo the interview with Carrie at some later point, but for now, I'll leave you with our interview with Lasse. I hope you'll enjoy it. I'm your host, Leo, here with my co-host, Livia, today. Hi. And our guest, Lasse. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself, Lasse?
1: Yeah, my name is Lasse. Um, I study English and
0: I write sometimes. That's good. That's kind of the the prerequisite to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, just so you know, dear listeners, we are having a cosy tea time right now, so you might Every now and then, here is some of us sipping tea, I hope you can tolerate that. You can also get your own tea and you'll have a cosy afternoon with us, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. So Lasse, let's start with your reading, let's hear it. Would you like to um, tell us what it is and uh, if it has a title? I'm still thinking of the title,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a short uh, story that I started writing. It's just the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, there was a smile. And I smiled back, two smiles. Then there was a hand running through my hair, warm and soft. Above the lips were two dark eyes shimmering in the light, and the air was full of sounds, one chasing the next. A second face appeared, a set of lighter eyes, rougher skin, another smile. In those days the world was full of smiling people bowing their faces over me, peering at me. In those days the world was there to play in and explore and But as soon as I got fed up with that, I returned home, where my mother was waiting, and I saw the dark eyes, the smile again. But there is never just a smile, never just love. When I play through my earliest memories, I see so much else. Her legs striding up to me, her narrowing eyes as she hunched over, and then her voice, which would drown everything else out, the birds, the wind. Her face was looming in front of me, everywhere, impossible to turn away from. Finally she turned around and left, the earth trembling with every step she made. I lay back in the grass, convinced I would never see her again. As my heartbeat slowly returned to normal, I got up and walked through the empty streets and forest nearby, determined never to go back. Until I got hungry and cold, then I ran back into the house and into her arms, clutching her skin, digging my fingers deep into her back, not wanting to look at her face. After what felt like hours, my mother lent her face to my ear and whispered, You are hurting me, my baby. She removed my hand, kissed me, and walked away. Maybe none of this happened, but it feels so real. It was a mystery to me how one person with the same body could be both as warm and as harsh as she was. Everyone else I knew was similar when I saw them and my father joking and playing with me. Andrew, a friend of mine with his puffed-out chest and loud voice, his older brother always greeting us with a sneery grin. With my mother, I would have to check her face, her body, every time I stepped in the room to see which one was there. There were other ones, too, for example, when she was in her study doing her writing. I would have to remain absolutely quiet there, and she would sit by the only window of the dark room, filled with shelves and shelves of books, motionless, staring outside with an intensity as if she were willing herself to fly out of the window into another world. In between, her fingers would brush quickly over the typewriter. At the end, she would yawn, shake herself, and walk over with a bright smile like we had spent the last hours laughing together. I quickly learned that those bright smiles were a good sign, so I would pass more and more time in her study, looking at the back of her face, waiting. Sometimes I would get pen and paper myself and stare into the distance like my mother, but all I could see were a lot of books and my eyes would slide along the book titles full of long, difficult words. Besides, where was the fun in sitting so still, I would think, kicking the air with my feet, and I would begin scribbling my paper full with little drawings. We lived at the time in a spacious house in a small town. The summers were full of sun and I busied myself kicking my ball around and exploring the neighbourhood. Otherwise, I would hang around Andrew's place where he would sneak into his older brother's room, who I was quite afraid of, to steal some coins and then march out to the shop to buy sweets. The fear was followed by a wonderful feeling of excitement, so I extended the game to my own house and discovered, this time rummaging in my mother's purse, a banknote with a large fifty on it. I ran over to Andrew's, my eyes shining with excitement, and presented to him the treasure i had found. We ran to the shop, stuck our fists full with sweets triumphantly paid the old lady who shook her head muttering about children being spoiled by parents we sauntered over to the nearby park and lay in the grass dropping the pile of sweets between us and when we started eating we couldn't stop daring each other to give up as the sweets turned sticky the air felt ever more stiflingly hot and my teeth hurt we could barely walk upright on our way back our stomachs hurt so badly and Andrew vomited in the street. It didn't take my parents long to figure out what had happened. But where Andrew was given a long tilling off, my mother started laughing and then felt I'd received punishment enough. At other times, I was in the little forest nearby, frequently by a pond I found, which only I seemed to know. Here I felt I could be everything. To daydream, I would sit under a large tree and listen to the trickle of water from the stream. When I was happy, I would lie in the sun listening to the buzzing flies and insects. When I was sad, I would stand over the water and stare into its depths, wondering what was hidden in its dark centre. The pond would enter my dreams occasionally, in which a large woman would slowly emerge from the water. As she rose, the water's surface rose with her, unfurling itself around her body as if made of silk, until it rested on her shoulders in the form of a dark blue cloak, and she stood in a dry hole. She had long, wild hair and a furious expression on her face. She let out low, searching, bone-rattling howl, and I would wake up, heart beating, unable to get the sound out of my
0: head. Wow. (coughs) That was, or that is, quite something. Yeah, thank thank
2: you. you for giving us that vivid picture of, or many vivid pictures of, childhood memories or what one thinks of childhood memories Um, it's really um, touching and some of that seems quite familiar I would say
0: yeah all during that when I first read it and now again it really brings to mind I don't know yeah what I remember childhood feeling like I don't know if that's what it really felt like but that's Mm -hmm how it feels like in my memory, that's what it looks like in my memory. It's amazing that you can put that into words, I think, Mm -hmm. because it's, for me this is a rather, this feeling is really like visceral Mm -hmm. and kind of removed even from language.
1: Mm -hmm. So you mean it in a kind of emotional sense? Yeah, Probably not the same things happened to you,
0: like... Yeah, but similar yeah. emotions, I would say. Mm-hmm. I find the emotions familiar. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, the kind of relevance of the forest for me. My parents' house is directly uh, adjacent to forest. And yeah, I used to spend a lot of time in the woods playing. Mm-hmm. But then also returning back home.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a very universal thing that children tend to want to um, move around and explore their surroundings and also experience personal adventures or what they consider as adventures. And then, but there's still always like this safe place, this haven to return to where you know someone is waiting for you, whether happily or not so happily. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I felt like that's a big part of it, the part of the feeling here of the protagonist that there's a kind of ambivalence in the feeling towards the mother in the story. Yeah,
1: so um, (laughs) the story will also be most about that relationship. (laughs) And yeah, so it's, this is I would say like the first few paragraphs are about that and the next but the last few aren't so much about it, but um, I kind of wanted to set up the yeah that ambivalence
0: that it can be uh, as warm and as harsh. Mm-hmm. So have you already planned out the story completely? And um, not
1: completely. Um, uh, the way I write is that I first um, always have a kind of rough. Um, Thing. so i write more kind of sentences to get the kind of feeling what i actually want to write about
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then i write it into a kind of coherent text
2: okay
1: and i've i've got i haven't got everything yet in a kind of rough version but say about half
2: mm-hmm.
1: i don't really plan it out um, because that would be too limiting i think mm-hmm.
0: Do you know roughly where you're going with the story? Do you have an end in mind?
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. I think that's that's crucial. What I hear from people mm. who write prose, they tell me mm. that having like the bigger steps, having a goal and the bigger steps mm. towards the goal is good to have in mind. And that's also where where I uh, I fail because I, I can never mm-hmm. think of an endpoint to a story. Yeah. I might think of A beginning, but never an end point. Mm
2: -hmm. I think it really depends, though. I think if you really actually write something in novel length, it makes sense to plan it. But then again, if it's a short story and you don't quite know at the beginning where it's going and you let it develop itself on paper, I think that's what I sometimes tend to do, um, or what I tended to do. In the past, when I wrote uh, prose in German, I started out writing and stopped whenever it felt appropriate
0: mm-hmm. I think that's also nice I've heard some people tell about their technique in a way that for them they never know more than the protagonist mm-hmm. knows and so they explore the world through the eyes of the protagonist mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they write
1: it yeah I feel I do feel like I have an ending in mind and that kind of in, the, in some ways, what I'm writing is also to get to that place, mm-hmm. to
0: okay.
1: understand why why that would happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, True. in some sense, I'm, I am also finding
0: about, out about the mm-hmm. characters. It seems I'm like writing. a healthy, healthy midway. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Um, also, it sounds a bit like solving a riddle. like you're trying to understand how they got there. <laughs> without actually the middle part having happened yet. So that's, that's quite interesting.
0: It kind of feels sort like how life progresses. You have the, the end in mind <laughs> inevitably, <laughs> and you're finding out the middle part gradually. <laughs> yeah,
1: and also when you make plans, you do also have a kind of ending in mind, not specifically like a death, in temple life, but when mm-hmm. you make plans, you do have them.
2: Mm-hmm. Like a goal or something yeah. to yeah.
0: work towards. Mm-hmm.
1: Just sometimes doesn't come to pass. And I guess that's a good <laughs> metaphor for also writing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. don't always finish it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe the real story was the friends we made along the way.
2: <laughs> Maybe. It's talking about your piece chronologically. You open up with the lines. Um, they give one a sense of a newborn being looked at in a way, um at least I read it that way that people sort of bend down to look at the child with the newborn and also I think um there's a line saying something like there were all these sounds um and and psychology people know that newborns have um a different perception of senses so Central information is just an overflow, and it's difficult to sort out. Was that actually intended to be a scene in which we talk about a new one, newborn? Because a little later, that child already runs, um, leaves home. So it, it's never quite clear about which age we're actually talking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the age thing. Is intentional to because you don't when you kind of maybe retell these memories to someone, you will maybe think, okay, how old was I? Mm -hmm. But then you kind of think about that for a minute. And actually, it's not really important to the memory. Mm -hmm. It's just something you kind of categorize to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And I think if you would have that, it would kind of break the uh, what it's supposed to be Is kind Mm -hmm. of what the emotions are. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you said at the beginning, I kind of... I was thinking about that as well, that you kind of, as a child, you don't know exactly how to maybe interpret the world, so it's just this thing happens and that thing happens without there being a, what does this mean, or... True. uh, Yeah, and that was kind of the intention of the beginning. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you find it easy then, once you think about what year a memory was in, do you find it easy to sort them into age groups? No, it doesn't seem... it doesn't seem natural, kind of, to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me as well. I, I, I mean, it's my childhood is all blur, and there's like, mm-hmm. big, dark patches, I can't. I can't remember mm-hmm. much, really.
2: Also, I think it's so, like, it's so fluid in the sense that you change a lot and your body changes a lot within a short time and you first uh, can't reach the door handle and then a few years later you, I don't know, you actually don't need to ask for help to get to the one place where you have chocolate and then (laughs) it changes so quickly um, that I think... Perhaps parents have a better overview of what happened when because they are so keen on documenting all these things mm-hmm. and taking pictures. But for oneself, it's just like, um, yeah, um, things happen and then other things happened, mm-hmm. pretty much. It's
1: kind of interesting also with parents that like you also for- obviously forget a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: sometimes you have memories that you can't remember what your parents told you. True and then yes. you kind of you feel like you could remember, mm-hmm. but actually you... It's your parents' memory. Yeah. I have
0: loads yeah. of those, it's loads it's of memories that mm. aren't actually my own. Yeah. Or also memories that you see on pictures when you mm-hmm. go through the family photo album, yeah. and then you see yourself. Yeah. And yeah, what you have as a memory then is that picture, even though you don't have any, anything else really. Mm-hmm.
2: That's true. How memories can be created without you actually having made them, or remembering them. Mm. Based on the text, one could think that we've now been talking about um, the mother and narrator relationship as being like the central theme. When I write the text, I thought that the mother always becomes relevant when the narrator returns home. So would you say that the mother could be seen as a symbol for home or just being intrinsically intertwined with... The notion of home. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would kind of use the word maybe familiarity. Mm-hmm. It's the place to go back to that feels safe, mm-hmm. and then he, um, the character goes away and sees something new, and it's a kind of an adventure or something like that, and then. Um, Goes back and comes back home. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, actually, that's probably Mm -hmm. right. Um,
2: It's interesting that it's not so much the father, and it's not so much siblings or pets or room, but that it's specifically the mother figure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... I mean, how would you explain that?
1: Um, Probably... Autobiographical. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that would
2: have been my next question. Like, is the narrator um, inspired by yourself, basically?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. it's written by me, so it's there's me in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of. Um, the more I would say, the more detail it becomes, the more it's not autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like. I like this idea of lying to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So, kind of coming up with... Or there's this other really cool quote quote from Oscar Wilde, which is like, one's real life is the life one has not lived. Mm -hmm. And kind of coming up with something that didn't happen to you, but that feels like... It it feels more evocative, actually, Mm -hmm. than maybe the stuff that did happen to you. Mm -hmm. And then... So that's kind of the detail, and then the uh, broader stuff is probably relatively accurate about mm-hmm. me. Without, But that's also something that I can't really then control. I feel like I can control the details better than the overall mm-hmm. stuff.
0: Does the father appear at all? I mean, there's two faces looking down at the yeah. protagonist in the beginning, and he's one of them, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: sure, but not as important.
0: Yeah. yeah. I like what you said about memories. Like lying to tell the truth is that really kind of, because you, you never really know whether a memory really happened exactly like you think it did and still it is what it is and there's no no grasp on anything more tangible behind that, that's all we are. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I once wrote something that was supposed to be exactly, try and be exactly, like, my memory, everything I remember, write it down. And it just turned out to be that there were way too many weird details that kind of didn't fit with the feeling I I actually felt. Yeah. How
0: old were you when you did that?
1: Um, Like, two years ago or something.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I I, I think I remember myself trying to do that as well. (laughs) And my theory now would be, it feels more possible when your memories are still fresh and you don't have as many, Mm -hmm. that it feels more possible Mm -hmm. and relevant to write them all down.
2: Do you think so? Well, perhaps, but I I don't know. Like, I think we're just so full of memories. And uh, it's what you're trying to say that... For example, a memory, like something just happens and ends and you write down things immediately and not to later. I when you're younger, you can... When read. I was
0: younger, like a whole history of myself, mm-hmm. basically, all I could remember. I remember trying to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But right now I couldn't do that because my history, well, I considered the history of my own life is not a it's really a series of memories, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of muddy, yeah. it's, all, it's all grown together mm-hmm. and I couldn't really, I wouldn't be able now to, like, discern every single memory mm-hmm. from each other, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it would be an impossible project now.
2: Yeah, I mean the question is, is it actually something one would want, because mm-hmm. I think there are many phases in my life, especially my like late childhood early, early teenage years where I'm like yeah I'm happy these times are over <laughs> yeah so um I I actually sometimes prefer the presence <laughs> yeah probably over the past
0: yeah and for me at least there's a reason why I just forgot lots of things because some things aren't, <laughs> it's uh, just aren't aren't worth remembering mm-hmm. you have the, the feeling that's with the years but it's not the memories anymore mm-hmm.
2: yeah. a question of a very different kind um i think the piece is very physical like very often we so it starts with the perception of um sounds but then it turns to um your mother touching your hair then it turns into um I think that's the moment where she where you talk about her legs when and then when you return home um, she kisses you and you hug her and you put your fingers against her back so I, there are many moments that are very physical um, and I remember the last universe meeting where you read the text um, I think someone also said this could be read between the lines as the. Um, romantic relationships, sort of like, Um, if, you know, taken out of any context. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think about that?
1: So, I don't... So you say Mm -hmm. physical to then becomes romantic?
2: In a way, yeah. I I know these are two things that should be distinguished, yeah. But Um, could it be read that way? Would it be legitimate to see that?
1: Well, I'm I'm certainly trying to write about love, mm-hmm. um, and then, but yeah, um, the love between a mother and a child. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say that's romantic,
0: then I mean it's it's definitely very physical. What it makes me think of is the German word Geborgenheit, mm-hmm. which is yeah. like being held. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very much what this is. It's somehow an an ambivalence between being held and then being away in the forest or some other place where not being held, but then also being around your mother, who's usually or sometimes holding you, and in those situations when she's writing, she's not holding you and you're, but she's still there, and that's, that creates a tension.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's nice. Um... Uh, isn't it also, like, as children, it's, I think that's something my mother once said, like, that it's good to also touch children a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, yeah, they feel there's a kind of connection. I think it's necessary.
2: I think children die if you don't uh, touch them or hold them close to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think it makes the piece what it is, to have like this physicality in there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not this abstract um, return to home where you say, hi, mum, and run into your room, but whereas, uh, where you actually feel with your body that you're back home as well.
1: Yeah, uh, kind of one of the main images in my mind for writing this is um, about... Uh, so as, as a text about love, and when they kind of hug each other, but on the one hand there's love that's kind of, so I say, flowing through mm. that connection, mm. but also with so much else. So it's also the kind of character of the mother and the kind of feelings of the mother, not just love, but mm-hmm. all her other feelings mm-hmm. are kind of put through that connection.
2: Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, that sounds so familiar. Like, that is what's like... Totally get, because whenever my mum used to hug me, I could feel a difference in the hugs each time, depending on how well she was. Like, sometimes they hug you and you feel they are afraid or they are nervous and they have a bad day. Sometimes they hug you and it's, as you said, it's it's just never really just love. There's um, always different emotions involved as well. Mm -hmm. And talking about that sentence, I think it's quite a central sentence in that text um, that there is actually... uh, But there is never just a smile, never just love. Is that something you would consider a larger theme in the text?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um... I think it's also, I'm thinking about also making it a kind of line that will return mm. and that actually the mother will say it. Mm. So one of the other interesting things for me about writing this is um, mother or parent or carer as a teacher of the mm-hmm. child. And that's to a certain extent his view of that relationship is also, he's kind of learned to, a way of looking at it also through his mother. Mm-hmm. And that it's... Yeah, Um, yeah, and it's whether that's meant kind of positively or negatively. It's just the way it is.
2: Mm -hmm. That I think that sounds as if you had a Zen Buddhist view on life, (laughs) sitting in your room meditating and thinking, "Well, that's (laughs) how it is. There's never just love, but well." when I read the text I found it a bit um, like I I think I would have personally read it in a more like not disappointed but just a bit of a resigned. is that a word? A resigned manner
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think it's, <laughs> it's also meant that way it's I think it's this is also they keep saying yeah, this these two characters like mm. there is never just not that actually they wish there was
2: mm.
1: I think that's kind of what I Mm,
2: yeah. That's sad. <laughs> mm.
0: It's something they strive for, maybe, but it's it's always out of reach.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's because we're human beings and we're so faulty and so full of imperfections that I just I think the idea of pure love is an impossibility, probably. <laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe not so much on the part of the child, but generally mm-hmm. for all the people, love is also work I think mm-hmm. there is commitment involved and sure. you need to do stuff as well. Yeah. It's not just a feeling
2: not just being there or being there being there for someone implies that you need to be there for them emotionally and be there. Physically, you'll be there to spend time with them, it's not just...
0: It's not passive at all. No,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Going back to the faces at the beginning of the story, they kind of seem like a symbol of control. Like They look back at you and uh, it feels a bit like the narrator is maybe a bit, tiny bit afraid of the way the faces sometimes look at them. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly also about how big they are. hmm Yeah. And, yeah, it's kind of scary. So that's, yeah. I, th- as I said before, I think I'm trying, at least at the start, to just make it, okay, there, there's a face here. That's, mm-hmm. that's all that a child can actually kind of grasp in that moment. And, but, yeah, certainly. But it's also supposed to be about kind of love. hmm So it's not... Just scary.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so weird how mm-hmm. how much bigger everything is when you're small, mm-hmm. and then without you re- realizing it, one day you're the same size, and <laughs> it's just you don't you don't seem to notice mm-hmm. it in everyday life anymore. Yeah, because it's it's I been it's it's been such a gradual change.
2: Yeah. If I remember correctly, there's a second passage talking about I think the mother's face either. In connection with, um, I, th- I think, when you return home, when the narrator returns home, um, the narrator doesn't want to see um, the mother's face. Why is that? I, I think faces are a theme in there also, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, in that specific case, it's because um, he saw her face then when she was angry and he kind of doesn't want to see it again. Mm-hmm because the implication of it is just too big. And that's... He, yeah, in, in this case, that's why he doesn't want to look mm-hmm. at, this fa- at mm-hmm. her face. Because it's just too much. There's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too important. Like, yeah. too emotionally <laughs> involving to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. To look at it.
2: Do you think children just want to see... Um some mother's faces when they are peaceful and happy and loving. Because otherwise it feels like you have disappointed someone you love so much.
1: Yeah, I also think as a child you you don't realise that your parents have a different life when they're not
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, around you. So then every time they are sad, it automatically you start thinking it's you.
0: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's very relatable. Uh yeah. slowly realizing that your parents are actually people mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: and that is not your fault or not the children's fault all the time if something goes wrong but there are so many things happening in them and they are such complex beings And I think as a child you also want to see your parents happy right like ideally they are in a good condition mm.
0: Because it's scary when they're they're not happy.
2: Yeah, you don't know how they're going to react. I think that's also something I found in your text, or perhaps I just interpreted it, but I thought, like, this. Oh, I think there's a line saying you never really quite know whether um, your mother is in a what she is that day, how she is that day. So you need to check first with her face in order to know how to react.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think your your parents or your mother in this case is so central to your life that then depending on which mood it becomes, it changes your mood as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So that, yeah, that's why it's really important.
0: I found the, the sweet eating scene really, really good. I don't know. It's just so on a childlike level, really just like just what you think you do when you are a child. And now it seems, of course, amazingly irrational, but in a way that... I don't know. That's just that's what children do. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> they 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 seek uh, pleasure without any kind of uh, without any thoughts of what might come of it. Mm-hmm. And I I also <laughs> find the, the line really good that your mother thought that you'd have that the narrator had punishment enough. <laughs> <It's> <laughs>
2: just by laughing. Yeah. Yeah, it's something children do. I remember having loads and loads of sweets with my cousin, and it was just so unfair because my cousin could eat much more than me, so I would always get sick before him. And that's just, you know, I felt each time I had lost the race.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what that sounds like? Footer night. (laughs) When you envy somebody (laughs) else's food. (laughs)
2: No, so his food, we brought it together and then started eating. And then there was the plan, you know, to have Swedes. So we watched Titanic and we <laughs> wanted to eat. <laughs> so, no, it was no, no, not Titanic. It was... It's a bit
0: of a uh, weird movie to watch Titanic. as a child.
2: <laughs> no, it was weird, weird Township, uh, Traumship? <laughs> um, like, this yeah, Cruising yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Um, no,
0: no, uh, it's uh, just, like a, a rom-com series yeah. kind of...
2: Yeah, so they go into the, I think Mediterranean or something, and there's like this old captain you can rely on, and then they have parties on, very elegant parties with jazz musicians. It's it's very um, fancy the whole thing. And we watched it together, and then we wanted to eat sweets, but the thing is, you know, I had to stop after 10 minutes because I got sick, <laughs> and my cousin was just, like, much taller than me, though he's two years young, uh two days younger than me, so I, I found it very, just unfair as a child, you want to, you know, actually win the battle of having most sweets.
0: Yeah, eating more. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it seems like a like a really like a base instinct, kind of.
2: I think it's it's you know, it's about the principle, like why can he eat much more than me without getting sick? That's just yeah. not fair. Yeah. Why is my body not equally equipped? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Children have, do have a really strong sense of what's fair and mm-hmm. what's not. That's yeah. really important. That if something seems not fair, mm-hmm. that's
2: your whole world is crumbling. Yeah.
0: yeah, I find we we learn to, well, I guess we have to mm-hmm. learn to deal with that a lot more, because otherwise you it would be impossible to survive in the world if you're react, if you react this strongly to unfairness still.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, but children also, when they are kind of profiting and they, it's unfair for someone else, they're not as but they don't feel that bad, but <laughs> <Well>, it <laughs> depends on, I guess, the person. But, yeah. yeah, I think the feeling of being unfairly treated in a negative way is very strong, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: The the sweet-eating scene we just talked about um, takes place in nature, which I find very interesting, because generally nature seems to be um, a place to retreat to, to, as we've mentioned a couple of times, um, a place for adventures, a place to... Um, be away from home and perhaps being controlled. so what does nature generally mean to the narrator? Or will nature be used that way as a place of retreat um, in the rest of the piece as well?
1: Hmm, yeah, yeah, retreat as well. Also a place, yeah, as I said, to explore. Mm Um, yeah, in this case, I actually wasn't even, in the sweet scene, wasn't even thinking of nature, just a park.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, place to play, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, oh, yeah.
0: The scene that blew me away the most was the ending, the dream of the woman rising out of the pond it was really, it's written in a way that's so immensely dreamlike. It feels like, it really captures yeah. the feeling of what a dream feels like. Thank you. What would you say? What does it mean? What does this, the, the Lady of the Lake tell us?
1: I've always um, liked uh, the way sometimes in stories or in films, um, they use fantasy f- um to evoke a feeling that you can't really pinpoint, or it doesn't have a, if it's kind of vague and you can't exactly explain it, it doesn't have a clear meaning. Although you, it has maybe some meanings, um, but it feels like a better or more powerful way of describing it, mm-hmm. even if you're not entirely sure what
0: it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Something like a visual metaphor, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's weird how the text at the same time does such a good job at putting feelings into words that are hard to formulate. Then maybe those that are impossible to quite push into Mm -hmm. the strict form that words are are still represented in that kind of dreamlike, metaphorical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though it makes them. Harder to inter- interpret, maybe, oh, than the other ones. But they're still there.
2: How would you interpret that scene? Is it actually a dream? Is it um, the boy standing by um, the pond and actually seeing that or imagining that? or having his subconscious feelings transformed into a visual metaphor? yeah.
1: yeah something like that I mean there's a, obviously a clear connection between the fact that it's a large woman and the mother mm-hmm. um, so I, I think it kind of supposed to show how, how kind of powerful she seems to him
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah kind of like a mythological creature <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah and then also the kind of the pond which in my mind is like this really dark place but somehow kind of also warm so it's she lives there because it's a warm dark place okay which would kind of in my mind be similar to the place when they are hugging which is also a bit mm-hmm. dark and warm so there's some kind of my connections which i don't even maybe explicitly say mm-hmm. but it's just what i
2: it's interesting though that this um, woman is, um, has, I think, a very um, f- furious expression on her face. Um, why is the expression so negative, so threatening, if it's actually related to the mother figure?
0: You say she gives a howl.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because there's both the love, and in this case, in this specific dream, and the fear
2: mm-hmm. oh I think now we're getting there I a fear hasn't been something we have talked about till now right like the mm-hmm.
0: fear of the faces that we've talked
2: yeah. about true but also is it a fear of facing her emotions perhaps yeah
1: I think that's kind of mm-hmm. what I also meant when we were talking about fear of faces that they mm-hmm. show what she's going through and then yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So the howl is everything packed in one that you as a child usually don't notice that much or the other things going on with your mother or your father. Mm-hmm.
1: You you do notice them but you don't understand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a nightmare I guess, so
2: mm-hmm.
0: But you you in the dream become aware of something that's that's un- that you notice but don't notice when you're awake, you pick up on it but you can't mm-hmm. rationalise yeah. it.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what would Freud say?
1: <laughs> um, he might start talking about the like, Oedipal complex. <laughs> Maybe
0: doesn't he always? Yeah
2: example, or oh. fear of women. Oh. Uh-huh. I think Freud had issues with his mother, so he yeah. might have a whole chapter in that <laughs> somewhere, oh. if we were to read that, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: Oh, yeah. In really complicated language.
0: Yeah.
2: Also, but outdated perhaps
0: a bit problematic at times a bit you put it into better words i'd say i agree (laughs) thank you
2: i think um it is a form of psychoanalysis certainly just in more abstract terms and in more like visual terms more painted for the readers rather than saying this is a symbol for Indicating that, so, I guess it resounds a lot with um, literary people like us, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that's like, it's in- inevitable for writing that it ends up being a bit of a psychoanalysis, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can all, you can, I think I've said that on, a, on the pod before, that I think you can only kind of tap into what you are and you know yourself, mm-hmm. because we didn't have any connection to anything else really.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. true. But I think then the interesting thing about writing is also that you can sometimes you come up with these images and then you start they start explaining you to yourself a bit better mm-hmm. yeah yeah so in a way you're not you can do psychoanalysis through the text
2: mm-hmm.
1: not being entirely conscious of it while actually writing it true
2: I agree yeah writing can be a revelation obviously
0: I think that's a good note to uh, end the podcast on. This was episode 7 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. It would really help us out. And tell all your friends about it. Comments, questions, you can reach us on Twitter, we're at poduniverse, on Facebook, or via our email address, podcastatuniverse.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Livia Regen. Our guest on this episode was Lasse Pröbsting. On the editorial board for this episode was also Livia Legan. I hope you visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.